Black Doctors Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Black Doctors Podcast. I am Stephen, your host. This episode, we are sharing the incredible story of Dr. Robert Ray. He's an emergency medicine physician. You may have heard the name from a viral um, social media post or blog post that he he released over the summer. And I thought it was super important to share the backstory behind what he wrote and to add additional context to the situation he was in. Also have to shout out Dr. Robert Ray as well as to Dr. Bernice Fokum. They are both recently uh, board certified emergency medicine physicians. We're going to break this episode into two parts. We can stick within our kind of 30 minute time frame to try and shoot for. So definitely tune in next week to hear the second half of this incredible story. Hello, welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host. Today, I am joined with Dr. Robert Ray. I uh, may have seen his story recently, kind of over the summer. Um, he wrote this extremely provoking, passionate piece about his oh, alliteration, all those P's. He wrote this about his experience in residency. And, you know, I read every word of it and I learned so much and it resonated very deeply with me, some experiences that I had and how I could have approached things differently. So, so excited to have him on the show to share his story, to share some of the things that he learned and how, you know, what his experience can can do to help us all uh, moving forward. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's been a whirlwind trying to connect these last couple of months with kind of both <laughs> of us starting new jobs, new careers. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, we we're finally able to do it. Perfect. Can we, uh, I guess we could start by you know, telling us about yourself and, and how or, or what your pathway was into medicine? Yeah. So um, I, you know, one of those, you know, cliche people that wanted to be a doctor since I was really young. My grandma was a big influence for me wanting to do that. She had some health issues before she passed away in 2011. And we were, you know, she was one of my best friends when I was really young and she really had a lot of respect for her doctors and she loved the show ER, which we watched together all the time. And so she was kind of my first kind of influence to want to go into medicine. And then I got into, I ended up going to Michigan State for medical school and undergrad. And the way I got into that is I actually was involved in a pipeline program at a high school that brought us to campus for two weeks. We stayed on campus and we learned about osteopathic medicine and we took classes on campus and we stayed in the dorms. Um, and through that program, I got, they kind of paid for my undergraduate application fee to Michigan State. And then they also introduced us to another program called Medical Scholars that they have at Michigan State, where essentially I interviewed out of high school, got accepted into it, and I had to kind of follow all of their criteria. But if you met all their criteria, you got an interview at the medical school and you didn't have to take the MCAT in order to be accepted into the medical school. And, you know, I kind of developed a lot of relationships and support at Michigan State through that pipeline program. And that's where I ended up completing there and then went off to Lehigh Valley Health Network for my emergency medicine residency in 2015. Nice. And jumping into it, so in June, you kind of wrote down your experiences in residency. And I think if you go back, we'll put a link in the show notes. If you are Black and in, or underrepresented in 
medical school of residency, you read this piece, you're going to identify with a lot of things that he discusses that, that Rob discusses. And, you know, one, you know, from the, the anecdotes of like the offhanded, like obviously overtly racist things that are said to kind of take you by surprise. And then there's like the subtle everyday racism that you experience. Um, but you talk about how you were the only black resident in your class at residency. Now, did you know that before you matched into that program? I, I didn't, I didn't really look into, I knew cause I rotated there as a student and I knew that there were no current black residents or black faculty, but honestly, as a student, I had such a great experience with their rotation and, you know, I learned so much there and I was impressed by how their residents were in their last year of residency. And then, you know, the ones that stayed their first year of being an attending. And I was like, that's how, that's how I want to be when I finish. I want to be that like strong finishing as a resident. And so, you know, it was, I, I wanted to go there. Now, that being said, I, when I was in medical school, there also, you know, in my rotations, I was often the only black person on my rotation or, you know, when we broke into group, I think we only had eight people. We have our medical school class graduated 300, 300. And I think there was only eight of us that were black that finished. So it, that wasn't like foreign ground necessarily to me. And I think a lot of people can relate to that in medicine as well. And it was just one of the, it was just like, oh, yep, just another, I'll be the only one again. I still wasn't kind of prepared for what would happen, I guess. Yeah. And and as you kind of went along and there was like the different like random episodes of racism that, again, we all experienced, what was your approach to navigating? You mentioned there was a a offhand comment about basically calling black people monkeys or a monkey pill and orange. Like, how did you deal with those random kind of in your face moments? Yeah. So I think in the blog, I mentioned that, that, that first one, the, we were talking about peeling an orange and someone said that they, you know, they would love to see a monkey peel an orange. I, I wrote about how I was very disappointed in myself because I was, I mean, I had only been an intern for a few months and, you know, we have all of these things that we carry with us when you're the only one or, you know, one of two or, you're kind of carrying all this burden and trying to, you know, be everything for everyone and not step on anyone's toes and not get in trouble. And all of that is happening while you're starting to be like a brand new doctor. And it's just a lot. And so I was, I was scared to say anything. I was, and, you know, immediately after when it was over, I just had this feeling of just disappointment that I allowed myself to be treated that way and that I didn't, you know, say anything in the moment. And so I made a promise to myself that I was not going to do that anymore. Not only because of my own like self-dignity and self-respect, but because now that person feels empowered to do that to somebody else. And so I am becoming part of the problem by allowing this to continue. And, and that's not what I wanted. And I remember I distinctly remember when that happened, it brought up memories of, you know, medical school. And 
when I was in my clerkship doing my rotations, there was, I was on internal medicine and there was a, where our hospital that I was working at, we had a, a ward that was designated for prisoners. So they would come and, you know, they have to stay anonymous and all that. And one of the patients was like a neo-Nazi patient. And so they have like oh. swastika tattoos and, you know, all of these things visually that said they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be welcoming to me outside of, you know, this <laughs> right. scenario. A couple of hints, subtle hints. And the, the senior resident that week, we were going through the patient list and dividing up the patients. And they said, they said, oh, we have this patient. You know, what would be really funny is if you saw that patient. And what? so they made me see that patient for that week. And honestly, it was, I was, I mean, I felt, I was very scared. I was sweating a lot going up there to meet him for the first time. But when I did, it was honestly an enlightening experience because he was actually sick. And, you know, there was really no issues outside of, you know, the th things that he had tattooed on him, which were offensive. But he was, you know, glad to accept my, you know, my care and my help and, and talk with me. And so, you know, I you know, just treated him like anybody else. And then he, you know, treated me with respect as well. That doesn't mean it was appropriate. That doesn't mean it was, you know, you can learn something from every experience, but I would never do that to anybody. And so what happened is when they switched <clears throat> senior residents, when they kind of switched for the week, a new resident came on and his name was Dan. And I remember, I'll never forget him. And we were going over the list and he looked and he said, why are you seeing this patient? And I said, well, because they told me that I had to. And he said, absolutely not. And <clears throat> he said, I will see this patient. And he was a Hispanic guy. And, you know, he talked to the other residents that were on that week because he was one of the chiefs. And, and so I just remember how good I felt when he stood up for me and how empowered I felt after that. And I said, you know, that's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to, I want to be the one that's standing up for people when, you know, clearly what's happening isn't right. And that's kind of the path that I want to choose to walk. And so, like I said, when that first opportunity happened and I was just so disappointed in myself. And so I said, never again. Yeah, that, that's, that's huge. I, I say all the time, like you don't get to pick and choose like, how your attendees are going to treat you or how your residents are going to treat you. And, and there is a line that people can cross where you need to, you know, report things. But the, the one takeaway can always be when I am a resident fellow attending, I will not model this behavior or I, I will model this other behavior. Sometimes that's the only takeaway or lesson that you're learning from some of these people. I had an attending, is that one of the outside rotations, Caucasian woman who in the OR called me bro like all day. It was just like, Hey bro, bro, bro. And like, I texted my co-residents like, does, does she call you bro? They're like, no, no, they don't. And I, I remember putting a spinal in a patient and she yells out in the OR, whoop, there it is. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I, you know, I just had to suck it up, get through, but I've been able to talk to other residents that are, you know, in that process or having those experiences and, you know, 
that's that's helped me kind of see what that looks like and how to avoid it and, and counsel other people. So you, so you had some experiences during residency. I think this all kind of came to a head with, you know, the, we're in the middle of pandemic. There's George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter, and you were wearing a hoodie. And that's kind of, it seems like where everything's started to escalate. It actually started with the, with the bracelet. I mean, it's the same bracelet that I wore all the time. I haven't taken it off since I put it on however many years ago. And I mean, honestly, I got called to this, you know, I say getting called to the principal's office, you know, I get an email or a text message from my program director saying, Hey, like, you know, we have to have a meeting and I have, you know, you go through, when you get an email like that, you start like racking your brain. Like, did I say something? Did I do something? Like, Oh my God, did I, did I mess up a procedure? Did I like, what could I possibly, and I couldn't think of anything of why it could be. And, you know, come to find out this person that I, I mean, I didn't find out for until a few years later who, who it was. They didn't tell me who it was that said it, but that entire time from when I got there and I mean, even until I left, they were just so pleasant to my face. It was all, there was never any signs that, you know, anything that I, you know, done or said would have ever been off-putting to them based on how they, you know, approached me and interacted with me, you know, to my face. And so come to find out that, you know, they were telling my program director that I was, you know, because of the bracelet that I was wearing, I was, they were threatened and intimidated and all of these other, I, I believe them to be very intentional words that I don't think anyone that worked with me or, or knew me on any level would describe me as. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And, you know, out from that came what I thought was going to be a lot of good things, because at the end of that meeting, they said, you know, my program director at the time, Dr. Weaver actually, you know, stood up for me. He said, you know, this is nobody would describe him like this. And I know that you've never talked to him about any of these things because you wouldn't be using these words. And this, you know, I, and he went through the dress code policy and he didn't see anything in there that was against the dress code policy. And so he spoke with HR and the DEI coordinator, and they all came to the conclusion that it was not against the dress code policy. And so he told me I did not have to stop wearing it. And then they asked me to kind of start this DEI program for the emergency medicine residency because they had struggled with representation in the past. And, you know, whenever they would like get together and come up with an idea, it would, you know, luckily some of these ideas, somebody would come and say, actually, no, that's not a good idea. We shouldn't do that. (laughs) And so they, they, they couldn't, they weren't making any progress. And so they were like, you know, can you help us with this? And I said, I'll do it, but just know that I'm not going to do it just for show. Like we're not going to just be checking boxes. We're either going to be serious about it and we're actually, you know, all going to learn from this. We're all going to be better. And we're actually going to be trying to, you know, attain this goal of better representation or I'm not going to do it because I don't do the whole song and dance just to do the song and dance. And they said, no, like we're serious. And so we did it and we did a lot of great things. And naturally, as a resident, as you and most people who are in medical education know, I did it for free. I didn't get any time. I didn't get any compensation. I did it because I was passionate about it. And, you know, even now speaking to people who are 
you know, attendings or do this as their primary job, what we managed to accomplish in a year and a half that people have been trying to accomplish at their institutions for, you know, five years, 10 years. And, you know, we did it all from scratch with really no, no incentive other than that we thought it was the right thing to do. And then it kind of all got turned back around and everything that I had done and everything that I was doing became, you know, well, one day it literally felt like day and night from one day to the next. It was like, Oh, this is great. These are all the great things you're doing. And then all of a sudden now it was the same thing that made me the bad guy. What made that change? Well, the only, as many times as I've gone back through in my head and think about everything that was going on, there was only one major change that I can identify. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the only reason, but so in July of my, so really the beginning of my fourth year of residency, my previous program director took a promotion. And so mm-hmm. one of the assistant program directors got promoted to, to be the program director. And a month after that happened is when all of this started. So I kind of pinpoint, you know, that change in leadership as a big kind of turning point. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. I mean, so many things to pick out of what you discussed, the minority tax. And like, there's so much literature about, or people will talk. It's, it's hard to, I find myself struggling with it. We are not supposed to do this work for free, but if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. Right. And, and how do you battle that inside your mind, inside your head? And I think a lot of us are just like, okay, it needs to happen. Uh, I'm going to do it. So, so it's that like you, you knowingly, did extra work for free because you believed and, and it was that important. And then you get penalized for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we, you know, we talk about the minority tax a lot. And I think that's been one thing that I've, that I've tried to take away from this is, you know, being able to set boundaries. I am like the type of person that will, you know, take it, take it all on. And if I'm passionate about it, then I, and I want to do a great job and I'm going to like continue to, you know, push higher and push higher. But I mean, honestly, it became, it was very exhausting from the beginning, but when you start to see those kind of positive outcomes, it's just like, okay, well, we can like, that's, that's enough to keep going, you know, yeah, you know, mentoring this student, you know, getting them into residency, you know, giving them this opportunity seems, you know, some things start to change, having these important conversations. It's like, okay, so you, we're getting somewhere. So it's worth it. But when kind of all that is flipped on you and now all of, you know, the work that you've been doing to do good, and now you're being demonized for it. It just exponential how exhausting oh, it yeah. was. It hurts. It was, it was, and now, I mean, it took everything I had. It just completely drained me. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I couldn't do it anymore. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's definitely well documented. 
And it's definitely, it's an interesting concept because people will say, oh, the minority tax, minority tax. But like you said, okay, so I'm not going to do it for free, but they don't want to give me time. They don't want to compensate me for it. So it's not going to get done, but it needs to get done. And so you always end up right back at square one. Yeah. The, the best I, advice that I can give and, you know, having worked in, in different settings is to document kind of the things you're doing. I, I read this book, Never Split the Difference on Negotiation. Some verbiage to the effect of, I'd love to do X, Y, and Z, but how can I when I don't have any protected time or when I'm on call every weekend? And again, if your mission is to help people, that like, like don't shy <clears throat> don't shy away from that. But maybe every couple of months, send that email to your boss, your burn director, like, hey, I did this, 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 and this this week. You know, appreciate your support or something. So you have like a, a kind of a track record of the actionable items that you're doing. And then you can also make sure you put those on your CV. So all the work you do at one institution translates to the to the next. The, the next thing about what you said was that that shift. And, and you said, you know, you can't fully put your finger on it, but it coincided with a change in leadership. And for people, because randomly there are some, you know, program directors and attendees and other people out there listening to this show, the, the, you may feel like you're not doing very much and you're supporting a resident or two. But the moment you leave that position and, you know, we all have our own careers or, or you, you get promoted or something, just realize that that little bit of support may have been the one thing standing between that person and everything else that's coming at them. Um, as you make enemies and people like, that want to see you fail for whatever reason, I mean, racism being a large one, they're just waiting. A lot of times they're waiting and they see that one person that's protecting you. Oh, they're gone. It's open season. And, you know, I'm sure a bunch of things probably coalesce to get you into this spot, but like, like don't underestimate the support you're providing to the residents, to the medical students, to the people that are kind of underneath you and, and in your charge. Which brings it back to your story. So you, all of a sudden, all your efforts in, in DEI were no longer appreciated. What had been sorted between you and HR with your bracelet is, is all, it's a, it's a problem again now. Yeah, it kind of, you know, like it kind of trickled in the beginning where it was just kind of like a side comment or like, oh, that's interesting. Like people are acting differently towards me. You know, just like general things that you can't always put into words, but it's like a feeling that you have. And, you know, some of my co-residents or my co-chiefs, you know, had been present during like some of these interactions. And, you know, I kind of try to live in a place like I never assume that I'm, you know, I, I don't think that I'm right about everything. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. And so I ask other people, like, do you think that that was weird or am I reading into it? I said, no, like that was definitely an odd interaction. I don't know why they, you know, you know, said that or are treating you like that. And so I said, okay, so it's not just me. And so things kind of slowly start to build, slowly start to build. I start to hear like, you know, stuff from other faculty and attendings, like, oh, like they're saying that you're, you know, being problematic or you're avoiding them or mm. you are being difficult. And I'm like, that's not true. Like we just sat next to each other for an entire hour and they didn't say anything to me. They, but then there is just very, like very high school, 
like immature behavior. And then, so, you know, all of this is going on. And then in December, you know, by ACGME every year, you have to have two like um, meetings with your pro- with the program yeah. administration. So you have your mid-year evaluation and your end of the year evaluation. And so my mid-year evaluation, you know, we did it over a video conference and, you know, it was supposed to be just myself and my assistant program director, Dr. Barr, because they kind of divide up the classes and they each take one. And then to my surprise, my uh, program director, Dr. Quinn was there. Uh, hmm. What I immediately knew was, was off. Um, Spidey sense was tingling. Yeah. And so at the end of it, you know, he basically said, okay, well, since we're all here, let's have this meeting about black BLM and the dress code. And so, I mean, not really in a position to say no or, and so we have it over a video. They basically, he basically tells me that they had been, you know, doing whatever with HR discussions, meetings, whatever. That's how I took it, the way that he implied it about the dress code. And they said that there was some, somebody else that wore something that said black lives matter. And someone went to HR and said they were offended by it. And so they were saying that, you know, that was against the dress code now. And so I naturally had a lot of questions, um, starting with, well, this is exactly the opposite of what I was told, you know, a year and a half ago. So like, what, like, why is it changing? Because if you pull up the dress code, it was last updated in 2018, which was before I even got here. So the dress code hasn't yeah. been updated. So there's been no changes to that. It seems like the interpretation is being changed. And so what is being, what is, and, you know, so all these questions I had, you know, what about, you know, we can wear pronoun pins and other things that could be considered political or offensive to some people, not to me, but definitely there are people who may think that. So, and and this is in the zoom, this is in the same zoom meeting. In the zoom meeting. Yep. I asked all these questions and the answers were always the same, that this is not a residency problem. This is a HR network problem. And so, all the arguments that I had fell on deaf ears. And so I basically said, I said, well, if it's not a a residency problem and no one else is being affected by this, like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be singled out. Like, I'm not going to just volunteer, like just agree to you singling me out. And they said, you know, basically it was an awkward ending to the meeting. I didn't, and so I continued to do what I had done since I had gotten there because they, you know, my questions hadn't been answered. Like, why is this changing? Why am I being told one thing at one time and then another? And if it's not a residency problem, HR doesn't come to Grand Rounds because what we were discussing was they weren't telling me that I couldn't wear my bracelet anymore because it was already in writing that I could wear my bracelet. They were telling yeah. me that I couldn't wear anything that said Black Lives Matter to Grand Round or our education, like our residency education. And to me, that, like, if I can wear the bracelet in the emergency department when I'm taking care of patients and, and the public, then why in this, like, classroom setting can I, why, it was just, it's, it was all very confusing. Yeah. Something's fishy. Um, and so I, I continued and they sent an email in January, he said, you know, I saw that you're wearing a Black Lives Matter hoodie to Grand Rounds. So I just want to make sure you understood that, 
you know, we're saying that this isn't allowed. And so I sent a very long email basically expressing that I felt like they were avoiding the true nature of the discussion. They didn't want to answer any of my questions when I asked them about like why the change. I felt like I was being singled out. I was feeling very unsupported, very just overall bad about the entire situation. And so I have questions. Can I wear things that say all lives matter or white lives matter or trans lives matter? Can I wear these other things that are against the dress code? Or is it is it just BLM that we're focused on? Because that's what it seems like to me. And once again, he didn't answer any of the questions. And said, this was the program dire- program, program leadership director. or HR, yep. just program. program. Okay. And so that, at that point is when he said, okay, well then we're just going to have, you have to meet with HR. And so we did in February, first day of Black History Month, February 1st. <laughs> and, you know, I won't go through the entire conversation that's in the blog, but it was basically the same things. I had the same questions, except this time, you know, they started to provide a little more, you know, some answers, not what I was expecting. So in my head, how I thought this would play out was, you know, this is like an education issue. Like they just don't understand like the perspective. They don't understand like the dichotomy that they're creating. Like we're going to have an educated discussion about this and then, you know, it'll be an ongoing thing, but you know, we could reach some sort of common ground or some kind of understanding, or maybe they can explain to me a reason why this is changing. And, you know, that makes sense. And then, you know, maybe I can, you know, come to their side, but that is not what happened. We're going to stop there for this week's episode. Definitely tune in next week to hear the second half. We'll have some uh, actionable items and, and things and takeaways that you can use in your own life, in your own career and practice. Also want to remind you that we are supporting the efforts of the Student National Medical Association. We're currently providing a $5 donation for every review we receive now through the end of the year, the end of 2023. For each review we receive on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we're donating $5 up to a total donation of $600 to support their 600 for the 60th promotion campaign. They're trying to raise $600,000 to support the efforts of their organization. Thanks for partnering with us, supporting the Lighthouse Podcast, while also supporting the Student National Medical Association. Tune in next week. We're here because representation matters.